Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. It's therapy day and I need you. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar. Perhaps you can relate. You're having an awesome year. You've got more clients than you've ever had. You're working with a business of design coach for the first time and you've doubled your income. You're feeling like master of your universe and frankly, things couldn't be brighter. By gosh, you are finally really good at your job. Then... Your wallpaper installer calls and there's just a little bit of a problem. That coveted wallpaper is now hanging upside down in your client's powder room and everyone's in an uproar. Before you get that resolved, another client's off the rails because in her opinion, the design fees are over the top. It's not what she expected. And then wham, out of the blue, a new project turns to dust and you are left scratching your head. That's it, you're done. Anything, and I mean anything, is better than working as an interior design professional. You are eyeing that Starbucks barista and you think, I could do that. That means right there that you've hit the wall. So what now? That's the question we're going to ask interior designer Ellen Walker, who is going to share her experience, which is not dissimilar to the one I described above. Now, I've been there, and to a certain degree, honestly, I visit that place Um, on a fairly regular basis. So right now, for example, this week alone, I have a client who I've done four other projects for. We've grown really fond of each other. She's easy to work for. I like her. She asked me to do a simple job, and it's literally only purchasing a new dining room table and a chandelier. I mean, it really doesn't get easier than that. So off I go. I'm inspired to replace her single chandelier with two chandeliers. It's going to look so much better because her dining table is super long. She loves this idea. I'm a rock star. Until I speak with a client who says casually, the chandeliers look amazing. When is the, when is the painter coming to fix the popcorn ceiling? And I think to myself, my, the what? <laughs> the popcorn ceiling? I don't remember a popcorn ceiling. Oh, my God. I didn't follow standard procedures and go take a look at this project because I'd been to her place so many times and it was such an easy job. I hope you can hear my air quotes. I just barged ahead, picked a couple of chandeliers, sent my electrician over, tickety-boo, and told the painter he had to patch and repair it. I didn't prepare him for a popcorn ceiling, which, by the way, is super hard to match up. Rather than that, usually what we would do is we'd put a flat plate over all the damage on the ceiling, kind of, you know, panel it. So suffice it to say, cutting a corner, even a little one, it never pays off in the long run. So lest I think I'm all that, the universe frequently sends me reminders that uh, to be successful in this game, this game of interior design, decorating, architecture, landscaping, whatever your creative career path is, we have to follow protocols pretty rigidly. And that's just this week, folks. So I feel your pain. I know your struggles, and so does Ellen Walker. Ellen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. Now, great. Did any of that sound familiar? Yes. Yes, I I understand your popcorn ceiling. I had uh, with wallpaper. I had a, a similar thing that happened to me. Uh, I don't know, two three years ago, and. You know, it was, a, it was a simple powder room in a bathroom, a new home. The clients were moving in in a month. Perfect. We got the wallpaper in. 
send my wallpaper installer out there. Later, a couple, uh, the next day, my client sends me a picture and she goes, is this the right way up? I think he might have installed it upside down. And I, <laughs> my stomach dropped and I looked at the wall. I looked at the wallpaper again that I had the sample in the book and oh my gosh. Upside down. He hung it upside down. But seriously, yes. well, we are not laughing at uh, you. We're all laughing with you because we have all been there. So tell us tell us what happened. How'd you resolve that? Well, so I looked into it. I tried to get that same wallpaper. Wouldn't you know it? It was discontinued. So I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, now what am I gonna do? Uh, so I let the I let my client know it's been discontinued. We're going to have to try to find something else. And she goes, you know, we're moving it in a month. So yes, yes, I know. So I did find something that was um, they liked and that worked well. This time, what I did is I I now have a procedure that it indicates there's a picture on that procedure of the wallpaper and which way is up. And um, actually, my installer and I we both laughed about it after. But what we did is we we both decided to share the cost. He ins he installed it at no charge to me. I mean, I had to pay for the new wallpaper. In the end, my client was happy, was really happy. But wouldn't you know it, what happens then is those things, something else happens. So we had right. di uh, wallpaper for her dining room as well. And um, no fault of anybody's except for the manufacturer. It would not line up. The seams, the patterns would not line up. It was printed off. So, yes, and we had to, we had to replace that too. But that, that was still uh, around. <laughs> That's that's so that just so typical. Wallpaper. Isn't that so typical that yeah. once something goes wrong, then a whole bunch of other things might go wrong? And it sounds like you got out of that scenario pretty lucky. I mean, your installer agreed to split the cost. I know a lot of installers who would say there's no way I'm paying for any of it. If you didn't give him direction on which way is up, you can understand that. And the same yes. thing happened to us with a with the sofa fabric. The upholsterer um, upholstered the brand new sofa. Uh, with the fabric inside out, uh, the, the wrong side showing. And uh, we that was a very expensive lesson, but it led me to do exactly what you did, mm -hmm. which is establish a new protocol. We do not send uh, fabric to anyone or wallpaper to anyone without a photograph showing which way it's going to be installed. Right. That's a good thing always to do. I learned, yes, I learned from that one. It was, and my wallpaper installer said, I just assumed it went this way. It was one of those patterns that, was easy to mistake, but there was a definite run to it, and he just assumed it went one way, and I assumed he would know. You know what? Assumptions. Anything that can happen will happen. You might as well be prepared for it. I know a business coach I had for a long time would say to me, it's like playing hockey and expecting not to get hit up against the boards. If you're going to play hockey, you're going to get hit up against the boards. And if you're going to do this business, you're going to run into some trouble from time to time. But for goodness sakes, at least we don't have to repeat it. And those listening, if it hasn't happened to you yet, get that protocol in place because this is just two people out of a million who do this for a living. And we're both telling you it could happen that easily. So, Ellen, I want to talk today about hitting the wall. Everything is going great. You're mm -hmm. feeling good. You're feeling positive about what you do for a living. You've got you've got uh, happy clients who are phoning you on a regular basis, and then bam, a whole bunch of things go wrong, and it really becomes a crisis, doesn't it? Yes, it, yes, it did for me. I um, 
I mean, I had great coaching from like through been through business of design for a while and good coaching. I had for you, I had implemented, started implementing all, you know, the different steps and getting, trying to get myself familiar. And it's a learning process as well. And then I had one thing, I had a client actually, as you mentioned, we had went to the presentation stage and they thought the fees were, the fees were too high of what I had presented to them. Also in the meantime, the, our economy changed drastically, kind of like almost overnight. And what, so from the time I started with them to the time of presentation, which was two months later, their, their work scenario had changed and they, they couldn't go any farther and, and complete it. So it just, it so happened that, you know, I ended up with a lawyer and they wanted their fees back and I just, I was devastated. Um, then I had another client that we went to presentation. They decided that, you know, my fees were too high as well and that they didn't think it was fair. And um, so that one went poof up in the dust as well. And then I just, you know, I personal life, um, I'll be honest, you know, my son has addiction issues and that has been very stressful. And I think it just, I tried so hard, working so hard to implement all these steps and I still believe in them. It's just, it just all hit me at once. And actually, yeah, I did hit the wall. And how did I know I hit the wall? I just had nothing left. I really had nothing left. I was basically, I was crying every day. Um, I think I remember that some of those conversations with you. Um, I just couldn't go any more. Like I, the business just dropped drastically. That's how I hit the wall. And there was no, um, you know, dusting yourself off and just keep going kind of moment. This was a real crisis for you. And I would say that I remember a sim similar crisis in 2009. Um, and, you know, it is comforting, I think. And one of the reasons community is so important in this particular field is it is comforting to know I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. You hit the wall. Others have mm -hmm. hit the wall. And you'll get through it and you'll move to the other side. You'll be smarter. You'll be wiser. But one thing um, I want to point out in neither of our cases uh, did hitting the wall lead to us lowering the fees. In fact, I came away from, from that experience thinking I needed to raise my fees because the job is that hard. It is that hard. Oh, I agree. It is. It, you know, so many people, your clients think, oh, it's such an easy job. You just go pick this and you go pick that. And, you know, it's, it is a really hard job. It is. I agree. We have so many balls in the Never air. Late. We're managing so many situations on the ground. And um, it, it's amazing how often we have to remind people that what we do is not just going shopping for pretty pillows. Um, but today, for example, I've got a courier picking up some light fixtures from one place, getting them to a client's condo. I've got someone meeting an electrician over there, um, and that's the one job. And then on the other job, I've got a painter saying he thinks he hurt his back. He may have to go home. Not sure what's going to happen there. And then, of course, I've got two presentations this week. So I got a lot on my mind and a lot of balls in the air. And if I didn't have all of you to talk to, honestly, I don't know what I would do. So let's talk about um, how we get ourselves out of that hole. Once we've fallen into that hole, once we've hit the wall, we're feeling low, we're feeling discouraged. And by the way, a lot of people get out of the business at this point. 
They look around and they think, I would like to do anything but this for the rest of my life. And so they get a job at a furniture store. They get a job at a fabric showroom. uh, They get a job in a completely unrelated industry. But you and I said, no, we got a lot of skin in the game. We're good at this. We know we're good at this. What did you do, Ellen, to get yourself out of that frame of mind? Well, I've known a psychologist for very many years, Dr. Gantz, and um, it to do with our son. So I actually start. I think he could see me kind of burn it, burning out, and he kept telling me, you know, you need to take a break, Ellen. You need to take a break. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I'll just keep on going. I'll keep on going. And, you know, finally I just went, I can't do this anymore. And I was at the, at the point, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate my job. I don't like my clients. I resent my clients. Um, although I've had really good clients and I did, I just decided that, you know, maybe that is good advice. Just take a step back, take a breather. I didn't close anything. I just thought I have to decide if I want to keep doing this Mm -hmm. and I want to keep going, going through it. And I think for me, it so happened that this was last summer, um, last spring, I, we were doing a renovation ourselves. So I decided, nope, I'm not going to take any clients if they phone. My phone wasn't ringing much anyway because the economy just became dead. And I focused on our renovation. And um, then this fall, I had a nice, you know, a con- nice new condo job in project in Vancouver. And that kind of started my spark again. It was... Um, it was creative, and uh, even my therapist, he said, I see that spark coming back when you mm-hmm. talk about it, and uh, you weren't so negative about everything. So that's, so I'm now starting to evaluate what do I, how do I want this to look like? Who do I want to work with? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still, I'm still coming out of that, but I feel, I look back now, and I can see that yeah, wow. I was, I was done. So you were lucky you had that support uh, in place when you Mm -hmm. hit the wall. But you said, one of the things you said is that he was telling you before you hit the wall that you were burning out, that you needed a break. Was your husband also telling you that? Were your friends telling you that? Uh, Yes. Actually, if I think about it now, I do remember my husband saying, he goes, Ellen, you're working all the time. And you know, I, I'd sneak off sometimes on the weekend to, oh, yeah, I'll just go do that. He goes, what are you doing? You're working too much, Ellen. Like, you're just, yeah. you're burning yourself out. And friends were telling me that, too. Yeah. And sometimes you don't see it yourself, though. Everyone else is seeing it around you. So it's important um, to slow down enough at least to listen to those who care about you. And if they're saying that, there might be some truth there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to hit the wall full that speed. That was for me right? You, you really don't have to no. hit the wall full speed. Had, had you listened, had you listened to the gentle nudgings of those around you, you might have taken a little break sooner. But I'm like you. I mean, I am full speed ahead. And when I hit the wall, I hit it in a full face plant. And I see stars like a cartoon. And I'm flat <laughs> on my back, right? I don't do anything halfway. So I totally get that. Okay, so you hit on that, that yeah. there were some warning signs. You hit on the fact that you have a support community. And for all of you out there, we hope you're using 
Amazing Business of Design as your support community. But if you belong also to a professional organization, wouldn't it be valuable if we had these kind of conversations on a regular basis? I find so often the support communities that people belong to um, keep the conversation pretty superficial. Uh, when in fact, if it's happening to you, I guarantee it's happening to others in your community of peers. Oh, exactly. I started a, a little group, a so, not an association, but a group that um, I think three years ago when you were uh, in Red Deer doing a presentation. And from that, we've met three years. I mean, the group is small now, but it's good. And we that's what I like to encourage is we all take the time say what's going on what whether it's personal or whether it's in our business to share and how can we you know, and we're, everybody's always giving each other you know advice or you know this is what worked for me and if so it's that's really nice to have and mm-hmm. you know we've become we've become a close group so that's been a really good a really good thing and that's that's a that's a good support system as well Well, you need a mature support system, don't you? Because there's too many opportunities for all of us to go to parties where the designers are and and have that kind of cocktail party talk. How are you? Great. Never better. Best clients of my whole life. Everything is perfect. Um, And that may be true or that may not be true, but it certainly isn't true for every single person at that party. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. being candid um, is really helpful to all of us. There's there's no time to waste, Mm -hmm. right? So... Ellen, how long have you been an interior designer? Uh, I'd be 22 years this year. Wow. Okay. And I've been... A long time. Yeah. I've been doing (laughs) it since 1991. So what advice would you give for that person? Okay. So what advice would you give to that person who's just starting out? I would definitely... Actually, this is a... I thought about this. I'm actually meeting with um, a young student from Mount Royal who's graduating in August who wants to live in in Red Deer. And so she reached reached out to me, so we're going for a coffee, and what I'm going to tell her is to make sure that she looks at your, gets your books, set up a system, I'll let, I'm going to let her know where I've made my mistakes, and to encourage her how to set it up properly before you get bad habits established, and to do the 15 steps, because it's so, they're so um, detailed, and it's, if you follow them, they do, they do actually, they do work and they keep you, help keep you sane. So my idea for her would be to establish a set of systems right off the bat. Yeah. You, you're so right. Before you develop those bad habits, one of the things that took so long when I first started getting coaching is I thought I knew everything. No, no, no. I would say, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And my coach would say, well, that's dumb. And I'd say, well, you just don't understand. That's how the whole that's how the whole industry operates. You know, we take kickbacks, we hide money from clients, we we don't charge them for things because we don't want to get into a fight with them. We lower our fees, we don't log our fees. There is so much craziness that goes on in this industry. Uh, and if I could start again in 1991 with the systems I now have in place, oh my gosh, I can't imagine... Uh, what an exciting journey that might have been. But in any case, I'm super grateful I have them now. It is important, isn't it, to take the hand of someone who's behind you and give them a boost and lift them up. What do you say to people who say, well, you're just training your competition, Ellen. That's just silly. So the more knowledge we have in our industry, I think it's just the betters everybody else and helps them in their business. So Mm -hmm. you, you you start to create 
sort of standard, which I think is really important because everybody is all over the place. And I know that from here too. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if there was a standard? Wouldn't it be great if you live in um, Cincinnati and every single interior designer is $175 an hour and uh, the decorators are $150 an hour and, you know, whatever. The clients kind of knew in advance what it was going to cost. Um, it certainly would make it easier to go out and quote fees and all that kind of stuff. So, in fact, when you're helping that person who's on the road behind you just a little bit, you're really improving the industry for everybody. And you're, and all of those people go out, by the way, and educate clients. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So clients start to understand what to expect. I know I find when I'm working with clients, I'm, I try to uh, carefully explain the whole process in fact, now I have all the steps lined out, what happens in each step, and I provide that to them at the consultation. This is what you can expect, you know, if they're going to go ahead with the project. If this is what to expect, I go over that with them, um, ask me anytime. So I, that's really helped to, I think, make them feel comfortable. And you know what? If they don't want to do it, then I now realize they aren't my clients. That's very empowering, isn't it? When you realize you don't need every client, you just need a number of your clients. That makes it so much easier to go to that consultation with confidence and know that if this is the right fit, if this is your client, it's going to be a no-brainer for both of you. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I've told the person who answers my phone now, if they don't want to pay for a consultation, I'd be like, I always used to be, oh, Oh, what if what if they? I was afraid to tell them how much I, it costs because some of them, some people just you know, if they're not going to pay fees, your consultation fee, then we give them the information up front. Then exactly, they're not going to be your client. But I was always so worried about. I needed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're people pleasers, too. There's some of that in there. Um, Now, I will say about Ellen, um, to those of you listening, one thing about Ellen is she's an implementer, and you know whether or not you're an implementer. You go to a conference, you get excited, you hear a great idea, you go, I'm going to do that. And the next day you get busy, and the next day you're busy, and the next day you're busy, and a year goes by, and you're like, oh, wow, what was it that I wanted to do from that conference? Ellen's much more like me. You go to a conference, you hear a great idea. The next day, you are implementing that idea. I waste no time (laughs) because I know uh, now I've got a lot of experience with the positive changes that come from implementing those new ideas. So if I go to an event, if I hear a speaker, if I get a good idea, my goal is to get that into place immediately, if not sooner. Exactly. And that's, I do. I, when I go to a conference or a seminar, I'm there to learn something and take away something. And I mean, that's what I did with the 15 steps too, is I, I worked through it and it's, you know, as somebody new using it, I, it's become more comfortable. At first it was uncomfortable because it's new and you know, it's, it's just a new way that I was doing business, but now I'm finding I'm becoming more and more comfortable. So taking those ideas and being able to implement them, is it is really empowering helps you helps me how are you setting yourself up now so you don't make the same mistakes how are you going to make sure that you don't hit the wall again or or you know have you have you created certain protocols what's changed i think for me i would what i found that i would do is 
I would maintain my boundaries with clients. They'd start to negotiate and I wouldn't say just no, this is the price. I would allow myself to start negotiating once and I found once you do that, well, every bill you get give them, they're gonna try to negotiate something. And um, so my goal now is to stick to what my contract says, hold those boundaries with clients. Um, I'm not going to negotiate with them. This is the way it is. Like negotiate my fees down or negotiate, you know, something, mm-hmm. you know, off a bill that. Yeah. I love this, by the way. And it's a perfect segue, thank you, to Dr. Gans. I want Dr. Gans to weigh in on how any of us can slow down and put the brakes on and not have to hit that wall so hard. Um, Let's hear from Dr. Gans before we wrap up with Ellen. So Dr. Gans, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I thought of you immediately when the topic of hitting the wall came up. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. So you kind of are a specialist in hitting the wall, not yourself maybe, but your clients, uh, because regardless (laughs) of what profession you're in, it happens, right? You hit the wall. You're so stressed, you're not functioning the way you need to uh, for optimum performance. Oh, yeah. And you know what? And I've also hit the wall myself a few times, too. So I know it from both sides of the interaction. <laughs> okay, you've done the face plant. Good. Good to know. Okay, so what's really quickly, what's the physiological and psychological thing that's happening to us when we're nearing the red zone that we're nearing that time when we're going to slam right into that wall? What's going on? Well, a couple, a couple things can happen, right? And one is just a, a sense of depletion. So you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll speak about myself and the folks that I've seen, you know, a lot of times they've been working so hard. Um, they're probably not, they're probably having trouble sleeping or when they are sleeping, they're dreaming about work or they're dreaming about whatever, or they might be waking up and not being able to go back to sleep. Uh, typically we're not eating regularly or the right stuff. We've probably given up on the things that kind of fuel us in other ways, like, you know, the fun activities we have or, uh, if we have any kind of a spiritual practice, we'll probably slow down on that, probably giving up exercise. So there's a sense of depletion in terms of energy, but also a depletion in terms of joy in our lives. And, and, and uh, you know, that is deadly. That's, that's, this is a perfect recipe for burnout, right, is to, is to just deplete yourself. And then if you add the other side of that, which is a sense of overwhelm, and that can be done by um, taking on too much, um, not giving ourselves breaks, uh, whether it's like breaks during the day or breaks like on the weekend and or bigger breaks like a vacation. Um, but a lot of us also, even when we're still or we're taking a break, so to speak, break in big quotations there, um, our minds don't get a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of us, even when we're sleeping, our minds don't get a yeah. break, right? And so you, you keep going. And let me just, let me just say, uh, here's a little example of what, how powerful our minds are, okay? So I'd like you and, you know, the folks that are listening to the podcast here, think about your favorite baked product. Cinnamon rolls, Ooh. cookies, bread pie, whatever. Just, just take a moment and just think about that. And, and, you know, think about the smell of that. If you walk past, you know, Cinnabon or whatever, right? Um, and you think about think about the, those freshly baked goods. Oh, huckleberries. Okay. There um, you go. Wilshire. What do you, lemon what do you, corn cake. 
Oh my god! Right. Doesn't even sound so, good. So what what do you notice happening in your mouth right now? Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of like I think I'm going to start to drool if we keep this up for yeah, very right. long. Okay, exactly. Right. So this is this is a this is a this is a, an experience that most people can identify with. We've we've done it lots before, right? But I want you to realize what's happening. Okay. What's really happening is your body is having a legitimate uh, physical, physiological response to something you just imagined. Mm-hmm. Okay, you didn't. There was. There are no baked goods around you. You are not smelling this. Not even a trigger, uh, like a, a scent trigger. Mm. This is just pure imagination, and your body f- is secreting saliva to to prepare you to digest something that's not even there. Okay. So think about that process now when you do it in a negative way, when you, when you put stress on yourself wow. because you are worried about something or you're beating yourself up about something that's already happened or do you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. body does not care if it's real or if it's imagined. It responds the same way. So this is one of the, these are the causes of hitting the wall. And they're also the fixes to hitting the wall because if your body can respond to the negative, if you can train your mind or get coaching or get some help to point it in a different direction, then your body can actually heal and be strengthened and have energy and be more effective and be happier by the way you think as well. Wow. Okay. So I want to go back to that, um, what you do in order to change your thinking. So you're thinking about it on a positive side, but I want to ask you this first. There's a sense sometimes when you hit the wall of relief, thank gosh, you know, I did a face plant into that wall, even though it hurts, <laughs> at least I've stopped myself. So my question right. is, is there a way to stop yourself from hitting the wall? Like sometimes I honestly think I know I'm going to hit the wall. I need to slow down, but I'm not going to, because I know once I hit that wall, <laughs> I'm going to chill out. So it, right. instead of going all the way to the wall, is there something I can do to get myself out of that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, there is something you do. That's, that's a much harder and more deep-seated thing for most people, though. I, my, the, the psychologist that I, I've, I've seen a psychologist for the last 27 years, actually, myself, right? I work with, with them on a regular basis. And, you know, when I first started working with these particular two that I've been working with for the last, you know, 10 years or more, um, my, my goal, my, my, uh, my, my dream in life was to be arrested for some small white collar crime, so I could go to you know one of those country club prisons, right? <laughs> oh, seriously, and, and, I've and, had this thought. I've had Martha did it. I'm like Martha went to jail. Yeah, she right. came out. She had a that's new right. TV show and a book. I'm going to jail. It worked out for her. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and my big thing was I would have legitimate reason to stop. I would have a legitimate reason to stop, and I'd be forced by law not to do the th- things I was doing and be forced by law to take a break and to, you know, get exercise and eat three meals a day and whatever. Right. right. So, so clearly I had some problems that, you know, now I don't want to go to jail. I just want to go to an all inclusive, you know, resort somewhere. <laughs> I want to go to so club med. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know, so, um, but yes, there is a, there is a sense of relief at, at, at legitimately having a reason to stop. And it's kind of scary because, you know, we don't want to go till we go to jail or worse yet, have a heart attack or a stroke or mm-hmm. get fit, sick or, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, there is that sense of guilt over stopping for whatever reason. Uh, most, most times it's because we think that 
you know, uh, it's important that people are relying on us. We don't let people down or, or whatever it is. But right. if you're sick or you hit the wall or you get a cold or, you you know, you go to jail, right, <laughs> then you have to stop. And that, that, that's where that sense of relief comes from. Wow. So, and we're not really yeah, advocating yeah. that people commit a crime and go to jail. Like, no, we should just be clear no, about not. that. It's just <laughs> it's just clear. a twisted little fantasy that, that's not going anywhere <laughs> for either one of us. So, right. <laughs> so what are some things we can do to work on our thinking then, to turn our thinking around right. from that stress-based thinking to a more positive-based thinking? So understand that the better you feel, the better you do. So if you think about your business or whatever it is, it's a lot of people, it's like, you know, their families or their kids or their spouse or whatever, right? But whatever it is that is important to you, understand that it cannot be... Um, executed it cannot be done to any kind of quality level if the instrument you're using to do it is not in good working order okay mm-hmm. so you are your instrument you are your tool you are the only thing that's going to help you do well in your business or the biggest thing biggest factor in your business you're the biggest factor in your family life you know you not what you do so if you understand that then you can start to at first, it's going to take some discipline, but you can factor in time to look after yourself, time to take breaks, time to stop before you hit the wall as part of a responsible business program. It is, it is imperative that you do this because if you break, you cannot work. Okay? Mm-hmm. If, all you, if you're concerned about work and you're concerned about your business, if you break, if, you, if I'm in jail, okay, <laughs> I can't help anybody. If I get to a place where I, I, and this has actually happened, I actually stopped seeing people for about a year and a half because I was so burnt out. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was resentful of the very people I was hired to help Mm -hmm. because I'd done it too much. So what good was I then? How, how much, how much help was I giving to people then? How was I helping my family then when I couldn't, I couldn't stomach doing the job that I, you know, had all this passion for before. So it's important to think long-term and also to think about um, the importance of, of looking after yourself or daily maintenance um, when it comes to, you know, the, the, the production capacity, which is you. Right. And it's okay to get that outside help. It's okay to have a coach. I coach people, but I have a business coach. Um, I, I get help when I need it from Dr. Gans. It's okay. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of intelligence, actually. Um, making sure you're in your best possible position to do the best work you can do and feel great about yourself and your life. Absolutely. Well, they say Michael Jordan had a basketball coach, like yeah. even when he was playing professionally, he had a shooting coach. Right. And it's not like, you know, he didn't know about shooting. And right. it's not like he didn't know about basketball. But none of us have objectivity into our own situations. That's why we hire somebody that's outside of us, right? Yeah, the best heart surgeon in the world would not be very smart if he or she decided to do heart surgery on themselves. Right. right. Not a good right. plan. <laughs> not not going to work today. Not going to work today. So I think another thing I'm hearing from you is you don't go this alone. Don't do this alone. You're not alone. If you're having feelings of overwhelm and stress, um, you're not the first interior design professional who's been there and you won't <laughs> be the last. Uh, but there are things you can do to get yourself out of it. 
Absolutely. And, you know, and like you said, it was, it's smart to break the cycle early. You want to break it as quickly as you can. And, and the, the more education, more um, coaching, consulting you get on this, the easier it is to recognize it earlier, right? And you break the cycle before it gets established as a habit and before you dig yourself too deep into the hole, right? right? When you think about it, and, and Stephen Covey, most people know Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right. a really kind of seminal business book. Um, he talked about, you know, one of the, one of the um, things he talked about was sharpening the saw, right? And he said, if you're chop, if you're cutting wood, you need to stop every so often to sharpen the saw, and then you become more efficient at cutting wood because now you're you're actually working with a sharper instrument. So you take, it takes less effort, and you can go faster. You get more done. We need to do the same things when it comes to our own lives. We need to stop every so and now and then to sharpen ourselves, whether that's rest, whether that's vacation, whether that's taking a course, whether that's getting some counseling, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We need to do something so that we're sharp when we go back. And the law of diminishing returns, which is, again, you know, something in um, business and management, says the same thing. You become less efficient the longer you stick with the same program without taking a break. Every time you take a break, you go back to become way more efficient. And if you keep taking breaks, you actually get more done in less time with less effort. Thank you so much for this. It's really helpful. And I'm going to recommend everybody, you, you'll you love spending any time you can with Dr. Gans. Go to his website, drgans.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-G-A-N-Z.com or G-A-N-Z.com, depending on where you live, where you're listening from. Um, spend an hour, spend two, spend five, uh, spend the next 27 years uh, getting whatever help you need so that you can do your best work. I've, I've never, ever... Uh, not been um, thrilled that I phoned you, Dr. Gans, when things were starting to hit the wall. And sometimes, honestly, it's just a feeling that I'm just not, I'm just not feeling my very, very best at work. I don't even have a specific thing I'm calling you about. I don't say like, oh, there's this big problem and this is happening. It's just, you know, there's this niggly feeling. I'm, I'm not doing my very best work. And so let's have a conversation. And I always come away feeling great, just like I did today. So thank you for that. Can I ask you to leave everybody with just three really quick things, three things you can do uh, right now today if you think you're feeling stress to get yourself on stronger footing before the end of the day? Okay, excellent. So um, number one, I would say is stop whatever you're doing, get to a nice quiet place. Um, If you can sit or stand and take 10 breaths, 10 conscious breaths. So feeling the air coming into your body, feeling how it fills up your upper body, feeling as it exits your body. While you're doing that, you can also feel your butt in the seat, your feet on the floor. Anytime you start to come to your senses like that, it is actually one of those resets that we were talking about just short, just before this. You know, you, you, you want to just take some time to be still. And if it's hard for your mind to stop um, imagining stuff, just imagine a blank screen or a screen with like, uh, you know, um, static on it and just do that and breathe 10 times. That's a nice way to reset. Number two, make sure you do something fun every day. So if, you know, if you're feeling like you're heading for the, that wall, make, you know, stop, reschedule some stuff, take a break and go and do something fun. It might be sitting uh, you know, looking at a flower, or it might be going and getting, um, you know, 
some food that you like. It might be calling a friend. Do something that you enjoy because joy and um, happiness is a great stress buffer. Another, the third thing I'd say is get some exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, physical exercise is huge when it comes to managing stress, managing depression, giving you energy, forcing blood to your brain so you can be creative. And taking that break while you're, you know, when you're exercising, you're taking a break, it actually gives your subconscious mind a chance to work on whatever issues you are working on. And typically, while you're exercising or shortly after, you, you come up with all the solutions you need. So physical exercise is really important. I'll give you a bonus one too. Uh, number four, <laughs> get out to nature. <laughs> yeah. Get out to nature. Uh, nature resets us. And so when you're out and you're looking at, you know, you're walking the grass or the mountains or the snow or whatever, looking at the lake, it actually does help to reset you and does some good physiological things for our bodies, for our blood pressures, for our immune system. Um, so it's a really, really great uh, tool to, to use. Simple things available to every single one of us. So don't feel like you have to take that train all the way to the end of the station and hit the wall. Uh, take care of yourself and get yourself out of it and reach out for help, you know, more serious help Absolutely. when you need it. Dr. Gans, you're awesome. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show for a whole hour. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Kimberly. And a little love for our sponsor, Patrick Reynolds Media. If you are in the habit of doing videos for yourself on your shaky cell phone and you're thinking it might be time to step it up and look more professional, I can't say enough nice things about Patrick Reynolds and the group at Patrick Reynolds Media. They have worked with me for years in Toronto and we've traveled the world together shooting videos and home tours. He knows what he's doing. He's a great coach. He's great at editing. He's great with branding advice. PatrickReynoldsMedia.com. You can also get their information at businessofdesign.com in the podcast section. Let's rejoin the conversation with interior designer Ellen Walker. You really hit on something. There's a great restaurant. Um, well, it's a super casual crab shack in Newport Beach, California, and they have a little sign next to the door that says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And a girlfriend Mm -hmm. took a picture of that and sent it to me because I hadn't been to the restaurant in a while. And I thought, boy, if this isn't the philosophy of life, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And too often in my life, particularly when I was younger, uh, in my 30s, I thought the main thing was work. I thought the purpose of my life was to create an amazing business. And I didn't have any idea that it was exactly the opposite. The purpose of the business is to give me the life and the lifestyle that I want. So I can really relate to you sneaking off to do work on the weekend. I mean, I didn't even sneak off. I would just like stay in my pajamas for two days, Saturday and Sunday, (laughs) see the kids as little as possible and go back to my desk. And that's a shameful thing to say, but that's the truth. You know, I had how many Mm -hmm. times, I can't tell you, I had my kids, you know, organizing my folders so that I could keep an eye on them while I was getting some work done. And um, in in no way, shape or form is that quality time with the kids. So I regret that now, but I didn't know then what I know now. And my children seem to have survived, which is awesome, and uh, forgiven me, which is awesome. And uh, now if I'd had those systems in place, I would know that I don't have to work weekends. 
that's my free time and it feels mm -hmm. good. So if you are feeling like you're close to hitting the wall, uh, you need to take a step back. One of the first things, Ellen, you suggested you might do is reconsider how many clients you want to take on, how many new clients. So perhaps a course that can be helpful is um, finding your ideal clients and ideal projects. Uh, if you can figure out who your ideal client is and say no to the other ones, um, slow the pace down a little bit, make more money on the clients you currently have, you may find you don't need more clients. You need a better system for running the clients you have, and then you will be more profitable in general. I can tell you my ideal client is absolutely not the client who doesn't want to pay my consultation fee. This is not going to work. Exactly. <laughs> no. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here a little bit and say that I think you are the most expensive interior designer in Red Deer. And you can be a very busy designer when you want to. And I know that because I know a lot of the designers in your community now. Um, so it's okay to be the most expensive designer. Sometimes that's exactly the position you want to be in. And for those of you who are living in small towns and think, oh, I can't possibly charge $150 an hour or whatever the number is, you're wrong. Uh, sometimes when you live in smaller communities, uh, in fact, it's very important that you charge a reasonable fee so you stand out from the rest of the competition. I agree. And I found that, no, not everybody, and some people are going to tell you, well, that's, that's really expensive, but um, you have a really great reputation. So I thought, okay, well, I don't need everybody. There has been people that have gladly paid the fee. Um, and by following the steps, I've been able to deliver them a fantastic end project, and they've lo and they've actually they've loved it. And that's what they say it's expensive. I had one client say it was expensive, but it was really worth it. And when I walk into their house and their jaw drops and they're speechless and pointing <laughs> to this and <gasps> yeah, that's the reward for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why we do it, right? At the end of the day, we are people pleasers. Yeah. Yes, we want to make a good living from it because the work is really hard. Yeah. But we, we get an equal amount of satisfaction uh, from knowing that we've made the clients happy. So I'm with you. I don't mind when the clients say I'm expensive. You've got to provide the value then, of course, because no one's going to buy an expensive mm -hmm. car that doesn't mm -hmm. look beautiful and work beautifully. Uh, the same thing is true with us. I want to end, Ellen. First of all, thank you so much for being candid and sharing so openly and generously with all of us. That's awesome. But I want to end with some rapid-fire value bombs. And you are not prepared for these. I haven't. We haven't discussed these in advance. So it's really just what comes to your mind off the top of your head when I ask you these simple questions. Okay? You ready to play? Okay. Yeah, you sound a little nervous. <laughs> I promise it's going to be easy. Okay, okay, number one, what do you love most about your contract? What's your favorite clause? What's a clause that you love and you just can't live without? My favorite thing is in my contract is how I'm going to be billing them so that they can expect the, that bill a certain time each month and how it's going to look and they know exactly what they're going to be build for that's I think what I like Ooh, that's good yeah we have that as well they know but that by the fifth of the month they're going to get a bill by the tenth of the month we expect it to be paid and uh it gives them an example of what the bill's going to look like so there are no surprises that's a good one I like that one okay what's your favorite system of all the systems, and I know you have many, you have the 15 steps, but even within those 15 steps, there are systems within systems within systems. 
what would you describe as a system that you love that helps you on a regular basis and you're so happy you've implemented it? I think my favorite system is um, within step four where we have a checklist. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of checklists. And of course, listeners, you can access all of our checklists as well as the step four checklist Ellen is referring to uh, through businessofdesign.com. We have a series of courses appropriately named the checklist series, and I love them. Thanks for mentioning that, Ellen. All right. How about this one? What is your favorite technological assist? Do you have a system that you use that you love and you want to share with all of us? I use a system called Design Docs. And since I started using that, I find that system makes my life so much easier because everything is contained in there. It's basically once things are entered in there, it's the click of a button. Um, and you've got your information there. It's so easy to track your time, to invoice your clients. Like it just captures all the all the information. Yeah, that that's a, I love that. That's a system I love. Yeah, it's really good. And we're going to have both uh, um, Dean and Jillian on the podcast uh, talking about financial backend experiences. So that's a great one. Okay, we're going to end with this, Ellen. What are you looking forward to? What's next? anything new you want to implement, something you're excited about, what's on your list of things you want to add to your very busy life as an interior designer? For this year, what I really want to do is I want to be comfortable, get comfortable with uh, the, setting a flat fee, is trying to use it. I haven't been very effective with it, so it's really trying to be more accurate with that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think I want to be, I want to get that passion back that I used to have. I'm just looking forward to a great year. We're never done, are we? The work is never done. There's always something new no. that I'm working on. Um, and I, I totally relate to wanting to get really good at flat fees. As you you know, it took me more than five years to write the flat fee books, um, the flat fee book rather. Um, and that's because the system just wasn't perfect. It wasn't ready to be launched. And so what that means is there was a lot of experimenting with real clients and real budgets and me losing my shirt um, until I could figure out exactly Mm -hmm. how I'm going to make this work and then be confident to share it. So flat fees is a big one uh, for sure. And I love what you said too about balance, creating balance in your life. Make sure that you know your life's purpose is not to work, but rather your work's purpose is to fuel your life. Ellen, you've been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'll come back another time. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. I really enjoyed it. 